This time of the year is one of the most perplexing times of the year for believers. Would you all not agree? Everywhere we go, we hear music proclaiming our Savior. Malls, bush gardens, pageants, everywhere we go. Yet, we also see the worldliness and materialism of our community on display and on full display. People fighting for gifts for their children and all the wickedness of our culture is still very much on display. Friday night we were at Bush Gardens and heard a presentation of the good news of Jesus at one place in the park. It was surprisingly accurate. The speakers mentioned the virgin birth, the fulfillment of prophecy, the miracles of Jesus, and even his death to pay for sin. So you would think, wow, right? It was, it was shocking. Also, we heard gospel songs sang several other places throughout the park. Uh, in a very clear way, the light of Jesus was shining in that park. Also, we went to a, a children's play this week. My children performed or were in this nativity play done by homeschoolers, and it was at a local church. Uh, for international students, and there were numerous different people groups there. Several Muslims were there, and at the end, the pastor gave uh, a pastor there gave a presentation of the gospel, and was pretty good, pretty decent. And at the end, everyone clapped and acted like this was a very good thing that we were all there. But something has struck me all week. Everywhere we go, we see truth being proclaimed. It's everywhere. And yet, there's no huge change. The world just keeps going. And we keep walking around our community, engaging our community, and our community is still dead lost. Most of the community is lost. You know that, right? Yet we're singing all these songs and talking about Jesus all the time. I mean, Jesus came to die for sin. Shouldn't that message cause people to fall on their knees and worship Him? Forsake sin and follow Him. Shouldn't a glimpse of the glory of God as revealed in His Word bring us to our knees and cause us to say, I'm a sinner. I'm responsible for your death. But everywhere we go, we don't see any change, do we? Am I the only one? This is perplexing. Are y'all perplexed? Jesus is shining, but people don't appear to be changing. I believe the problem is people are not really getting the message. And those who really get the message... Forget the depth of the message very quickly. As a whole, the world doesn't think they need a Savior. We don't think we are that sinful. We think we are relatively good people. And we don't recognize our sin. And therefore, when we read a passage or we hear about Christ coming to earth to die for sin, we think, yep, He did. That's good. Good news. But we don't contemplate that it was our sin. It was us. He came for us. 
to die for our sin. Instead, we look at it as a nice, gentle story of Jesus in a manger, and we don't contemplate that we're responsible for his death and why he had to come. I'm convinced we need God to open the eyes of our heart to know our sin more. And then we will turn and enjoy the Lord Jesus. We need God to regenerate our community. We need several people to be born again, thousands and thousands. And we need God to sanctify us. Again, we are way too quick to forget our own sin, even as believers, aren't we? How fast do we just kind of mark it up? Well, yeah, I sinned again, but let's move on. Instead of contemplating what it cost Christ. And thus we fail to truly value Jesus as we should. For these three weeks I want to take some time and we're just focusing in on Christ. And we saw just a little bit in our background previously the eternal living creator in verses 1 to 5. We saw this, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He created all things. Then today we're going to focus on the true light of the world because we want to know Jesus more so that we will respond in faith and proclaim Him to the world. And third, we'll see next week the revelation of the glory of God. I would suggest to you all, if you have family members that are coming in, these are the times to bring them because I'm giving gospel every week. I'm calling people to repentance every week. This is what this is all about. I, I, I believe people have a tendency to show up at church on Christmas and around the holidays. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to talk about Jesus a lot and hope that people will hear the gospel and turn to him. So bring, that, bring your friends. But at the same time, we all as Christians need to be reminded of how good Jesus is, don't we? We need to be reminded of how kind and gracious and loving He is that He would come into the world to save sinners like us. So last week we saw that the Word, look in verse 1, the Word is a title given to the second person of the Trinity. That the Word was an Old Testament title for God. And the title for Jesus, the Word, obviously points to a revelation of God, that Jesus is the Creator and He made the creation. The Word of God is God's revelation of Himself to the world. And today we will see a synonym for the word, the Word. It will be the true light. Those two are synonyms of one another. We also see, saw last week that the Word, Jesus, is the eternal God. That He had no beginning or end. God is one God with three persons. We saw that the Word is and was and will always be an active member of the Trinity. All three persons in perfect harmony and unity forever. The Word, Jesus Christ, is also the Creator, we saw. The Word, Jesus, was the, in perfect relationship with the Eternal Father forever. They were face to get face. Literally, they were together in unity forever. And then we saw the Word as a relational God. Remember we saw in Genesis 1 that He said, Let us make man in our image. Pointing to the Trinity and pointing to the plurality of the Godhead. And we are made in humanity. We are made in the image of God. 
We are relational creatures in this life that we see. The created life screams the glory of God, doesn't it? When we look around this room and as we interact with people, we say, God is an amazing God. Why? Because we have the mark of God on us. We have the stamp of His image on us. Yet, though this screams God, the dark world is unable to grasp it. This was an allusion to humanity's, remember, the darkness could not comprehend it. This was an allusion to the humanity's inability to know God in a saving way through general revelation. Though we have the stamp of His image, we fail to honor and embrace the relational God who made us. Though we have numerous um, proofs and numerous examples of God's glory on display everywhere we look, we still fail to honor Him and exalt Him, and the world fails to glorify Him properly. Yes, we can sing a song, but in reality our hearts aren't changed. And most of the world can sing a song about Jesus, but still hate Him in reality. They can know Him, but reject Him. Today we're going to see there's another but God in Scriptures. Despite humanity's wickedness, God acted. But God, glorious truth. We are born lost and spiritually blind to the triune God. But God, in His true light, sent His true light into the world to save sinners like me and you. Oh, folks, today we're going to focus on the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. The main point of this sermon is the true light came into the world that He made so that all who receive Him can be children of God. This is glorious truth. There are four features of the true light, Jesus Christ, that we'll examine in our passage today. Notice them. In verses 6 to 8, you see the true light had a witness. In verse 9, we see the true light came into the world. In verses 10 and 11, we see the true light was rejected. And then in verse 12 and 13, we see the true light is received. Let's start with this first feature. The true light had a witness. Look at verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light but he came to testify about the light. Who is this man, John? This is not the writer of the book of John, the gospel of John. This is a different John in, in this passage in verse 6. This is John the Baptist. The apostle John is writing about John the Baptist in this spot. The apostle John never mentions his name throughout his writing of the book. Again, as we saw last week, the Apostle John was deflecting from himself and focusing all of his attention on Jesus. And here we see the only reason why the name John is mentioned is because it's not talking about the author himself. It's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry is developed in the Gospel of John, and we'll see it as we go along. But ultimately, John the Baptist was a man sent from God. He was... A prophet. You could argue he was the last of the Old Testament prophets or he was the first of the New Testament prophets in that he pro proclaimed Christ is coming. 
And he did it after 400 years of silence from God. He was the first prophet that showed up and proclaimed the coming Christ. John was an extraordinary man. John was a a one-of-a-kind. John ate some really strange things. And John dressed really strangely. John was all about Jesus. John was all about preparing people for Jesus' arrival. Turn with me over to John chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. This passage in John's gospel is a perfect illustration of John the Baptist and his witness of Christ. Look at John chapter 3, verse 25 to 30. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Man, there was any words that I would love to have had recorded in Scripture that I would say, these would be them, wouldn't they? Look at this guy. He is all about who? All about Christ Jesus. It's all about Christ. He's not about himself. John knew his role was the support ministry, not the object of attention. Oh, that's so important. This is what makes a great witness of Christ. He does everything he can to get out of the way and makes everything of Christ and nothing of himself. Oh, we need to do this, don't we, folks? John always pointed to Jesus, not himself. John always pointed to Jesus as the Christ, not himself. He says it, I'm not the Christ. John's joy, and by the way, this was a setup, wasn't it? You look at it, it was a setup. They say, look, everybody's going to follow Jesus. What would the normal human reaction be to this? The normal would would be, well, maybe I need to change the program, make things look a little bit better so they'll come back across the river to me. But John got it, didn't he? John's joy was not in hearing himself speak. (laughs) He didn't care about what he was saying. He just cared about the object that he spoke about. The Christ he came to announce. John's soul was satisfied with Jesus. Oh, look at that phrase, that phrase right before verse 30. So this joy of mine has been made full. What's his joy? His joy is is that the bridegroom's there. Who's the bridegroom? Christ. It's about Jesus. And his joy is that the bride, that is the people, the followers of Christ, were coming to the bridegroom. I'm glad he's getting all the attention, not me. Friends, while we are not John the Baptist, we can and should look like him. 
We should be like him. Let me ask you some questions. Do you know your role and do you play it? Do you point to yourself or others? Do you find joy in Christ or in your own accomplishments? Are you satisfied with Jesus Christ alone? Are you about your fame or are you about His name? Are you a witness of the true light like John the Baptist was? Oh, folks, listen to me. You want to value Christ this year? Remember, it's not about you. This time of year is not about us. It's about who? Christ. It's about Him. We make this, we make this time of the year just a, a travesty even in our own hearts because we think people aren't doing what I want them to do. Well, why not just be satisfied with Jesus alone? That's my problem. I can't look at the world and try to figure the world out. I need to keep my eyes on Christ fully. Otherwise, you'll have some stupid argument about a Christmas tree on Monday. What in the world was I doing? Jesus is more important than this. Oh, folks. What makes the true light special is only He deserves praise. He deserves praise. That's what makes Him great. And His witnesses know that. We know it, don't we? It's about Him. It's not about us. So the first feature of Jesus was the true light is that He had a witness. He had a witness that said, Not me. I must decrease. He must increase. It's about Christ. Second, we see the true light came into the world. Notice verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Oh, this is a profound verse. Light is the second main metaphor by John used in this section. The title light is closely associated with the title word. They are both terms used to highlight the revelation of God and how Christ is the revelation of God. Listen, light reveals. It discloses. Light exposes. Light makes things known. Light divulges. Light reveals the truth. Light uncovers sin. Light shows what is from God and what is from Satan. If you turn on the lights in a dark room, it reveals what's in the room, correct? That's what Jesus did. Jesus turned on the lights in the world. He revealed who God is. He revealed truth. He revealed the glory of God. He exposed sin because He is holy like God. He revealed grace and truth, as John will talk about in verse 14. He revealed the sinfulness of humanity. He exposes the lying hearts of humanity. He was like the Ten Commandments in the flesh. Jesus is the true light. He is the genuine self-disclosure of God. He is the authentic light. He is the real disclosure of God. He is the bona fide revelation of God in human form. God incarnate revealed. That's who Jesus is. You know, I've heard it often. You've probably heard this. If I could only see Jesus, I would believe in Him. If He would just show up here, 
I'd believe. I would bow if Jesus revealed himself to me personally. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. If Jesus showed up, you know what the vast majority of the world would do? They'd do the exact same thing they did the first time he showed up. They'd try to kill him. Look at John chapter 3. Look over at John chapter 3. Jesus explains that he's the true light. John chapter 3 verse 19. Everybody stops after John 3.16, right? John 3.19 to 21. Look at this. Jesus speaking, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone does evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought or worked in God. When Jesus came into the world, he had a profound effect on the world. He exposed the world's wickedness. Jesus was perfect righteousness revealed. Jesus was like turning the lights on in a cockroach-infested kitchen. You ever seen something like that? You turn the lights on and they go. They flee. Humanity as a whole hates the truth. They love their sin. And as long as they're not confronted with their sin, they love Jesus. But as soon as they are confronted with their sin, they hate the light. And by the way, folks, we in this room, we can fall into that same thing even after becoming a believer. Have you ever asked the question, why don't I have as much of a love for the Word of God anymore? Why is it that I'm right now struggling with even wanting to read? Is it possible, is it possible that our problem is sin in our hearts. Beloved, nobody wants to read the Bible when they're in sin. Nobody. How would we react if we saw Jesus? The world would kill him again. The light exposes who are born of God and who aren't. It's very clear when Jesus showed up, those that were born of God did what? Followed Him. Went to Him. Confessed their sin. They said, I'm an unclean man. I can't. You need to depart from me because I'm not worthy of your attention. I'm not worthy of being around you. But when they were in their pride, even those believers, what did they do? I'll die for you. In their pride... Oh, folks, Jesus is the brightest revelation the world has ever seen. The brightest revelation of God ever seen by the world. Romans states, however, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when the glory of God shows up, what does everybody do? Runs or rejects. Study the person and work of Jesus 
and it will reveal who you are. If you're not studying the Bible and you're not spending time with Christ and you're not thinking on Him and you're not meditating on Him, you're going to think you're a pretty good person. Fact. I don't know about you guys. I just love my job. You know why I love my job? I'll be perfectly honest. Because it forces me in this word more. I have to be in it all the time. Because I'm one undisciplined guy outside of God's grace and the word of God. And so it forces me in it. And every time I read it and every time I study it and the more I study the glory of Christ, the more I'm like this. Wow, I've got to change. I need you. Fix me. The more I'm focused on Christ, the more I also understand why the world hates him so much. Because I see that it doesn't matter. Christ came into the world and they hated him. He was in the world and they did not even know it. It's just shocking. But Jesus exposes, doesn't he? We go to Jesus even when we sin because we know there is really only one hope for us who know Christ. We go back to him, don't we? Again, I've said this a thousand times from the pulpit, but it can't be said enough. Repentance is what we do as Christians. We are always going back to him, aren't we? Why? Because we know he's our only hope. He's the only way. He is the satisfaction of our soul. When the glory of God, the glory of Jesus shines on you, what is revealed about you though? What is shown? What does your heart show? When you think about Christ and all that he's done and who he is, what does it make you think of? Well, look at verses 10 to 11. The next two points you'll see show the two groups revealed by the true light, the rejectors and the receivers. Look first at the rejectors. The true light was rejected. Notice in verse 10 it states, He, that is Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. He, Jesus, came to His own and there those who were His own did not receive Him. Jesus came into the world But the world did not know him. We see this in verse 10. Jesus, the true light of the world, came into the world. Jesus, the creator, came into the world that he created. Jesus, the revelation of the creator, God came to the world he made. And notice, the world did not know him. Why didn't the world know him? When he was here, why didn't the world know him? And in in what way? I think this passage basically means that the world could not recognize him because of their spiritual blindness. There's There's a very interesting concept, just thinking on this. I think if Jesus came into the world, I think, today, I think the vast majority of people would not even recognize him, would not even think he was Jesus, would not even think he was the Lord. Why? Well, I think it's because of the spiritual blindness of our condition outside of Christ. We don't get it. We don't see it. We don't understand it. Even if he was here, and we know this, right? The message at Bush Gardens was proclaimed clearly, and then, yeah, great. Let's go on. Next. 
No, you see Christ. You see a glimpse of the glory of Christ. What should we do? Including us Christians. Oh, wow! But it's... Yeah, nice. That's really nice. Nice show. Next. I think that's what would happen. That's what happened when he came into the world. He made the world. He came into the world. And the world did not know him. It's so interesting that how God in the flesh as the whole was not recognized and worshipped as the creator God that he was. The one who made the world came into the world and the world didn't fall on their face. As a whole, the world rejected him. And you see this throughout Christ's life, don't you? Every time he alluded to his deity, every, almost every time that his deity is alluded to or he alludes to it or shows it, or reveals it, most of the time, the world did what? They sought to kill him. It started at his birth. As soon as Jesus shows up, within the first two years, we know that King Herod did what? He sought to kill all the children because this might be the Christ. Second, even in his own hometown, Nazareth, that he was raised in, they sought to kill him near the very beginning of his ministry. You can read about that in Luke chapter 4, verse 29. What happened? He goes back to his home and he reads a scripture passage from Isaiah and he says, today this is fulfilled. And they go, they take him to the side of a mountain and they're going to throw him off. And he walks right out by his grace and majesty. Third, another one, the Jews were seeking to kill him Early in his ministry, even his own half-brother or his brothers, some of his family members through Mary, appeared to be unconcerned for his death. How do I know this? Look at John chapter 7. You can read it. You don't have to do it now. But read John chapter 7. It appears they don't care if he dies. We know that James, his half-brother, the writer of the book of James, didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus was rejected and rejected and rejected even though he was the creator of the world and came into the world. Amazing. Fourth, when Jesus stated, before Abraham was born, I am, they did what? Picked up stones to kill him. And that's not the first time they did it and it wasn't the end and they kept doing it and plotting it until they finally what? Accomplished it. Oh, beloved, the true light of the world has come into the world and the world rejected him. So should it shock us that the world rejects him now? No, it shouldn't. Jesus came to his own, it says in verse 11, but he was rejected by his own. His own is obviously a reference to the Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. The Jews were his people. But the emphasis here, I think, shifts back in time. See, the Jewish people were God's people. God chose the national Israel. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were his own people. How do we know? Well, because it's throughout the Old Testament. It's obvious that God chose national Israel. But look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. Look over at Paul, Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, Paul, speaking of his... Fellow kinsmen, 
the Jews. He says, For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory of the, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple services, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Jesus came to his own, yet, as we see here, his own, back in John chapter 1, they rejected him. These were the Jewish people. Jesus was rejected by the Jews, his own people, the ones that he had established, the ones he, that he had protected, the ones that he had preserved. They rejected him. This theme of the Jewish rejection of Christ is found throughout the whole, all of Scripture, but especially in John chapter 12. Look over there. John chapter 12, verse 35. This theme is mentioned numerous times by John. And it's as if the Jews are constantly shown to be the rejecters of their Messiah throughout this whole book. But look at John chapter 12, verse 35 to 41. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Interesting, the same parallels, huh? Same words. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Speaking of Jesus. Most likely a reference to that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. This is from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the Lord in his glory and his holiness. Who did he see? I believe he saw Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus revealed his glory through numerous miracles. And folks, this is so, this is profound. This is so amazing. Again, this is something that we just can't get our minds around and we need to stop and meditate on this. Let me ask you a question. We were talking about this in Sunday school. Do you think if Jesus came to the world and said, I believe in the doctrines of grace. Matter of fact, I established the doctrines of grace. And then he said, I'm going to do a miracle to show you that the doctrines of grace are true. It'll be the proof thing. Do you think everybody would go, Oh yeah, we believe now in the doctrines of grace. No, beloved. No. Jesus came and said all that he is and all that he has done and all that he, you know, his whole glory was on display. What happened? 
He raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the miracle that had just happened before Luke, John chapter 20 or 12. The miracle was what? Raising Lazarus from the dead. And what did they do as soon as he raised him from the dead? They plotted to kill him. <laughs> they, the, the religious leaders said, they said this. They said in effect, everybody's going to go after him. He raised that guy from the dead. Lazarus is alive. That means everybody's going to go after him. We must kill him. At this point, everybody in the room says, Can you believe how bad these Jewish people are? They were wretched, weren't they? Horrible that their own Messiah came and showed himself and did numerous miracles and he had numerous great sermons and he did glorious displays of himself and he lived righteousness perfect in their midst. He never broke a single law. And so what did they do? They killed him. How could they? We better answer this question correctly. The question is, is how could we? Don't you understand that we would have done the same thing? Don't you understand that nobody in this room, nobody in this room would respond appropriately to Jesus if God didn't work? We are them. And what's really amazing is, is we who know the glory of the Christmas story, we still do what? Sin. We still rebel. We know much more, don't we? I think we need to be reminded of just who Jesus is. We need him to continue to open our eyes to his glory. We say, how could they? But every time we sin, we say, his death is what I need. Because ultimately our sin is only paid for by his death, correct? We must recognize our own propensity to reject the true light. We still have it. How many of you like to be confronted with your sin? None of us. Now what is it about us that we see everybody else's sin but we don't see our own? I think the answer is... is our eyes are off of Christ way more than we think. We are much more sinful than we think we are. And I think we're not as satisfied with Jesus as we say we are. Beloved, Jesus was rejected. And Jesus was rejected as a plan, a part of God's plan in order to save us. What an amazing God that is. How gracious he is. We must respond appropriately. Notice verse 12 and 13. The true light is received. 
These are two of the finest verses, and we'll talk about next week how these two verses are the highlight, the main point of the whole passage. But let's just kind of trace down through it. Verse 12, But as many as receive Him, or received Him, Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus established a new relationship with God for all who receive Him. That's what we see in this section. The true light is received. This word received, it's kind of thrown out there often. I even heard it in the gospel presentation at the nativity thing. Just receive Jesus like a gift. You know, he, he's there, he's like that package. You must take that package and open it up and take it as your own, right? Understand that when John says receive, it means something much more than just taking a package and then open it up. It means acknowledging that you need the package. Acknowledging that you are a wicked, wretched sinner and you deserve judgment for hell. That's what receiving the gift of salvation is about. Receiving a Savior means nothing if you think, well, I'm a pretty good God, let me just kind of tack Him on with my other gifts I have. Because after all, look, I'm pretty gifted. Let me have a little bit of Jesus too. No, receiving Jesus means you say, I have nothing. I am nothing. I am a sinner. It means acknowledging your need of a Savior. It means accepting Jesus' word as the truth. It means embracing all that He is in Scripture and all that it reveals. And then it means that you are then changed and that you therefore proclaim Him and exalt Him and know Him and say He is God because your heart has received Him. It gives us a fearless attitude of obedience we want to serve Him. We want to obey Him. That's why you can't present the gospel as just some kind of little two-step process. You know, just receive Him and then you're okay. No, receive Him is a total embrace of Christ. A recognition of your sin and an understanding that Christ died for you personally and that you need Him alone. And you have no hope outside of Him. That's what receiving means. And we know ultimately a receiving person only chooses Him. Why? Because of Him. Because God works. We see it in these verses. We'll see it in a second. Everyone who receives Jesus, Jesus gave, though, the right to become children of God. Oh, this is, again, something that we can't even come close to fathoming. These... All of us that receive Christ are adopted by God. His Father becomes our Father. I want to look at that. Look over at John chapter 20. I love this. John chapter 20. Jesus died. By the way, very rarely do we hear in, secular, in the secular world that the resurrection in a gospel presentation. Very rarely. We didn't hear it in the Bush Gardens one, by the way, either. Jesus died, and the next line was, and he, 
in his life, it didn't say resurrection, his life changed the world. Well, there's some elements to that, but please say that he rose from the dead. He didn't stay in the grave. That is the key, isn't it? It shows he was victorious. But look at John chapter 20. I love this. Verse 11. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. What's the idea here? Real simple. Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and it makes possible for us to become the children of God. His Father becomes our Father. We are brought into union with God, and we become His children with all the rights and privileges of this truth. Oh, Wow. We will know and enjoy our Lord, our Father, our loving Father forever because of Jesus, the true light of the world. All who receive him is then further described. Look back in Luke chapter or John chapter 1 verse 12. Receiving him is further described as those who are believing in his name or those who believe in his name. And again, I would say that this is an Ongoing faith is obvious from the context. So what distinguishes the receivers from the believe or from the rejectors? What distinguishes those who reject him from those who accept him? Here's what it is. It's a people born from a certain bloodline. Is it? You tell me. Is it a people born from a certain bloodline? No. Is it a people chosen of their own free will? Is it a people that have convinced others that they're wrong and they need to get this and persuaded them to believe without any help from God? No and no and no. The obvious. Look at verse 13. God makes it very clear. He says this to make the point. The people who receive Jesus are those who are born of God. Those whom God makes alive. Those whom the Spirit of God regenerates. Those who are born again by the Spirit of God. Look, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is about as clear as you can get. Who receives the true light? Real simple, those who are born of God. Nobody else. Only those born of God. As Jesus explains to the 
one of the lost religious scholars of his day, Nicodemus, what did he say to him? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we can't birth ourselves anew, can we? We can't give ourselves new hearts, can we? We can't change our kids' hearts. We can't change our lost loved ones' hearts. We can't change our co-workers' hearts. We can't change our neighbors' hearts. We can't change our community's heart. So what do we do? We become hyper-Calvinists and we sit on our hands and do nothing. Wait for God to change people. No. 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 Because God, in His sovereign plan, uses people like me and you to proclaim the Word. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is the gospel that changes people's hearts. No, we're not hyper-Calvinists. We understand what? What is the instrument that God uses to convert the soul? The true light. The message of the true light. As we proclaim Christ, we do what? We trust the Lord to work through the gospel to convert a soul. The instrument that God uses to perform this miracle, it is the Word of God. Specifically, it's the message of Jesus Christ. Why do you think God, John's gospel, his track, is all about Jesus? Because that's the message that's going to convert. The more we proclaim him, the more people are what? Converted. The gospel is the power of God. As 1 Corinthians 1.18 states, the gospel is the power of God for those who are being saved. We proclaim it. We proclaim it all the time. Not just at Christmas, all the time, right? Give me another opportunity to proclaim it. Because why? God uses it to convert the soul. Yes, that's a miraculous event. Yes, God is sovereign over who is born again. Yes, we have a responsibility. He does those two things. They are friends. They don't need to be reconciled. Proclaim the truth because why? Because God uses the truth to convert a heart. It's the instrument. It's the weapon. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We proclaim it and it converts. Is it a guarantee? No, it's not. But it is how God changes the soul. How many of you want to love Christ more? Read the scriptures. <laughs> How many of you want your heart to desire God? Read the scriptures. Because it's the scriptures that are going to what? Sanctify us. It's going to make us know Christ more and we're going to then what? Be more dedicated to him. It's not confusing. I am so thankful that God saves simple people like me. It's not confusing. Study Christ and then proclaim Him because then people can get saved. Look over at Romans 10. And we'll close with this. How are people saved? God works, we know, because He, before the foundation of the world, chose people. We know this. We all understand to a degree election. 
At the same time, the way that he accomplishes his sovereign purposes is through the proclamation of the word of God. Look, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they teach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So what, who do we proclaim? We proclaim Christ. And again, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but listen to me. We proclaim Christ. Not our soapboxes. Right? We proclaim Christ. Him. It's not about our agendas. It's not about, and I know I'm, with all the conversations we've had, it's not about social justices and things like that. I'm sorry. That's not what we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus Christ. And the same way, I don't think we pick one eschatology and proclaim that. It's not about that, ultimately. It's ultimately about Jesus Christ. So, I would not be doing my service that God has called me to do if I did not ask, is there anyone in here who has not received Christ? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you bow your heads and raise your hands, but I am going to do this. Do you know Jesus? Do you understand that it was your sin that caused his death? Have you repented and embraced Christ as your Savior? He's your hope. He alone is your hope. God sent his son into the world to die for sinners like me and you. Turn to him and embrace him. So you ask, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm saved? Read 1 John. <laughs> Read the first uh, John itself, the Gospel of John, is written to so that you will believe. And then if you're not sure if you believe, turn over to 1 John and find out if you really believe. If you don't really believe, go back to John and read John again. And read until you believe. <laughs> because he is the one who is our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he is the light of the world came into the world to save sinners like us. Oh, Father, we do pray that if is there, there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they have not recognized their own sin against you and repented and trusted in you, we pray that you will work in their hearts, knowing that you alone can cause rebirth. We know that you and your sovereignty have chosen to use even our prayers as a medium to you, to call on you. You ordain not only the end, but even our prayers. So God, we crawl out to you now. Please save right now. Maybe there's somebody in this place that doesn't know you. 
We pray that you will right now touch them and show them how sinful they are and how much they need a Savior. Please, Lord, save. Then, Father, we pray that you will help us as a church to, to help them, to encourage them, to build them up in the faith. Help them to be brave and courageous to speak up and say, I believe in Christ and I will follow Him. And then for us who are believers, Lord, sometimes we, you know we are just weak, wimpy followers. Falling and stumbling and bumbling and not evaluating things properly and sinning. God, we pray that you will forgive us. We pray that you will help us to get our eyes back on Christ that we will enjoy Christ this Christmas and this time of the year and the rest of the year. May you be exalted in our lives today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. Please, Lord, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.